along the youth of this church and teach them the word so that they hear it. But you know what we cannot do? We cannot convince them of the word. That's actually not your job. Now, we put it in the most convincing way we can, but if you understand the scriptures, it tells us that the power of conversion, regeneration, the new birth, comes not by man, but it comes by the Holy Spirit of God. But here's what we do know. I, you know, as the scriptures indicate, the wind blows where it wishes, and we hear a sound, but we don't know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with the Spirit of God. I don't know why it is that some hear the word and believe and others hear the word and they don't believe, but I do know this, that it's through the word that they believe. And so I'm going to present the word. I'm going to expose my kids. I can't make my kids believers. Oh, how I wish I could. I can't. But I can put them in the situation where they hear that which can, in fact, convert them by God's grace. And I can put the scriptures before them. I think that provides for us a couple of things. It, it provides for us great hope because we can do something. But it, it also provides for us a recognition. Because I know, I'm sure, there are some in this congregation today whose children are not walking in the faith. And sometimes I think we can, we can say, what have I done wrong? And that might be a question we need to ask ourselves to some degree. But at the same time, I think we can hold out incredible hope. Because the word can still be effective. I grew up in a home where I heard the word of God since I was six years old, five years old. Went to a Christian school all the way through. And when I graduated Christian school, I graduated Christianity. I was done with it. Walked away. 18 to 21, I looked like the world because I was a member of the world, and that's who I was. And I bet the majority of people who were in the church that knew me and were high school friends of mine and all that said, Tim's gone. He's gone. And you know, I really still don't know why, but I was 21 years old, I was working at General Motors, I was, an I was on the assembly line, and I just thought, you know what, I need to read the Bible. That's a dangerous thing for an unbeliever to do. <laughs> but I just said, you know what, I mean, and it wasn't like there was this gaping hole in my life. I wasn't thinking, boy, I'm missing out on all these things. I had what the world was offering, and I seemed to be enjoying it. But, you know, I said, I, I need the word. And, you know, that was instilled for me when I was a child. I just knew I should be reading the Bible. So I picked it up, and I read Matthew 1. Okay, some genealogy, not much there. But the next day, I read Matthew 2. I read Matthew 3, and all of a sudden, I got to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I remember reading Matthew chapter 6, a passage I had memorized. I knew it in my heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I knew it, but I read it, and I understood it. That was different. <laughs> and I believed it, and I was changed. Do you know, 
The seed for that conversion was planted over many, many years. And I think a lot of people had given up on that patch of soil. They had walked away and they were planting other things and they were watering other things. And God said, now I'll give the increase. (laughs) Oh, there is hope, my friends. Give the word of God and do not give up on those who you have given the word to. But the scripture is what it is. This is what the scripture says. It is useful because it makes people wise for salvation. God is the one who opens the eyes to believe. Our job is to expose our young people to the scriptures. Notice the third thing that we see about the word. We must expose our young people to the word because it's able to keep them faithful and fruitful. Notice again verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and it is useful for, and then he mentions four things. So God spoke this. And in essence, here's what he's saying, and I gave it to you for four reasons. And I think probably the best way of thinking about this, these four reasons is to imagine a path analogy. So there's a path in which God has created mankind to walk on. And we naturally have gone way off the wrong way. There's a narrow path. And here's what, this, here's what he says, I've given you the word so that It would be useful for teaching, that is, to tell us what the right path is. It's useful for rebuking, that is, to tell us when we're off the right path. It's useful for correcting, to tell us how do you get back on the right path. And fourth, it's helpful for training in righteousness, that is, how do you stay on the right path. This is what God's given it to us, his word for. That we would know the right path. That we would know when we're off, know how to get back on, and know how to stay on. And it, for these reasons, it is imperative that if we are to train up the next generation, we must constantly expose them to the word of God. So if this, tr- if this is true, how do we do so? How do we expose people to the Word of God? Of course, primarily, we must be in the place where the Word of God is being given in the church. But we as parents and and older individuals must continually expose our children to the Word. We'll come back to that in just a moment. So we've been talking about how do we help our young people to hold on in the midst of a world where so many seem to be falling away. The first is to provide the handhold of providing the Word of God, exposing them to the Word. But there's a second one that Paul provides in this passage, and it is this. Give them a second handhold, which is expose them to godly examples. Expose young people to godly examples. And Paul provides two examples here. Notice again with me, he says this in verse 14, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have come to become convinced of, because you know from whom you learned it. That's Paul's second handhold. He's saying, Timothy, here's why you ought to maintain the faith, why you ought to hold on, because you know the life of those who taught you this. You know their genuineness. 
you know that they're real people. So who are these people that he's talking about? Well, of course, it's plural. He says, you know, those. Verse 15 gives us a hint. He says, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. This word for infancy really literally means from a baby. In fact, the word refers to a child still in the womb or one who's just come out of the womb. And Paul's point is, from the moment you came out of the womb, throughout your life, You've been exposed to the scriptures. How? Because of his parents. Actually, not his parents, but his mother and grandmother. If you have your Bibles, just look back with me. This is what Paul says in First Tim- or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. The first example that Paul says, here's the reason why you ought to maintain, because your parents have set such a solid example for you, or at least your mother has. And I think that's actually somewhat significant here. Because if you understand, if, you, if you're tracing Timothy's life through Scripture, one of the things you'll find out is that Timothy's father was a Greek. He was not Jewish. And it appears that he wasn't a believer. And there's two options we can take here. Either Timothy's father died somewhere along the way or abandoned his mother. Because it does appear that he grew up with his grandmother and his mother. So either his dad was completely absent on a spiritual scale, or he was absent altogether. I think that this provides incredible hope for many of us. Because do you realize, and I know that I'm speaking to some here, who through life circumstances and situations, you've been placed in a parental situation you would not have wished for. You're a single parent, And you're trying to bring up your kid to love the Lord and you think, I'm so far behind the eight ball here. How am I going to do it? I I just, I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. Do you realize that one of the most faithful men that we have in the New Testament is the product seemingly of a single parent home, at least a single parent spiritual home. And she faithfully gave him the word. And God used that word. So do not give, hope, give up hope in the midst of this time. There are op- opportunities for you as parents. And <clears throat> if there's two parents in the home, if there's one parent in the home, it doesn't matter. Here's what Paul is saying. The example of a godly parent is not easy to forget. Is not easy to forget. And of course, this means that we must be genuine people. What's really easy to forget is when your parents say they believe one thing and live in a totally different way. But when there's a genuineness of belief and when there's a consistency of action, a child growing up in that home will have a hard time simply walking away. And that's what Paul's saying. Provide a handhold of faith for our children by being good examples. And you say, well, I'm not a parent. Or perhaps my kids are out of the house. And, uh, you know, 
maybe that doesn't apply to me. Paul, Paul mentions a second example here. Expose, your young, expose young people to godly examples, first of all, by, by parents. But notice the second thing here he does. Paul, Timothy, or Paul gives himself as an example. Notice this back in verse 10. <clears throat> he says, you, Timothy, however, know all about my... And then he notes nine things about himself. Now, of course, Paul is coming to the end of his life. He's about to die. He knows it. He, in fact, says that. The time of my departure is at hand. I've, I've run the good faith, and, and I'm about to die. He knows that. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, at this point in my life, I can say this. Hold on to the faith. Because you've seen the example of faith that I've handed down to you. He mentions these nine things. The first three are really things about what motivated Paul. Notice he says, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose. That is, you know what I believed. You know how I acted because of how I believed. And you know my purpose. You know why I acted on what I believed. Paul believed that his life was able to leave an example for Timothy. There's a second list of three things. He says, Timothy, you knew my faith, patience, and love. You saw in the day-to-day -day life that we lived together how I showed my faith, how I showed patience, how I was transformed by the Spirit of God to love. You saw that in my life. He gives a list of three other things. Endurance, and, it, and these all dealing with endurance and trial. He says, you saw my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings. In other words, Timothy, you saw that I was genuine in my faith because I was willing to suffer for it. And he says, and Timothy, be warned, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution and so hold on. I think Paul's example is important here. In many ways, we might say, well, I'm not an apostle, so, you know, what, what does this have to do with me? But I do think that this has broader application to the life of believers. I dare say that the majority of us in this room can attribute our salvation to some degree to somebody who is not our parent. Somebody who is faithful with the word, who you saw their life. And you said, that person, I see their faith, their love. I see their endurance. I see how they walk through trials. I see how they maintain their faithfulness through these times. But remember, Timothy was not actually Paul's son. He calls him a son in the faith. Who are your spiritual children? Who are you the Apostle Paul to? And you know, these things demand that there be a close relationship of some nature. That you open your heart, that you open the, the door to know you. And I'm afraid, I mean, I, I say this <clears throat> with much guilt in my own heart. <clears throat> but I'm afraid so much for our young people who grew up in a church like this, and I'm, I'm not particularly accusing you, I'm just saying in many of our churches, they grew up in churches like this, 
where they, <clears throat> they've gone through the entire thing and they don't know any of the adults in the church. They don't know any of the adults and none of the adults know them. And you see that young person walking through, you don't know their name. You don't know anything about them. And I think sometimes we wonder, why is it that Johnny, when he was 18, was in the youth group, and then he turned 19, and he didn't start coming to our assembly? Because he doesn't know anybody here. We haven't established relationships with him. We haven't been that relational point. You see, Christianity is not designed to be merely something that you learn in a classroom. We are to be disciplers. We're to be exposing our lives to other people so that they see what does it look like to fall and repent. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to add that first because we're going to all need to do that. What does it look like to live faithfully? What does it look like to walk through a trial? If they don't know you, I mean, they might hear, you know, you're walking through a trial of cancer, but, but it's just a distant thing. But if they know you and they see your faith, that is carving out a handhold so that when they walk through that, they say, I want to be like him. I've seen what this looks like. I want to be faithful. Here the Apostle Paul then provides for us two ways in which we can help the young people of our church hold on in the midst of a trying time. Two handholds. The first handhold is we must expose them to the Word of God. The second handhold is that we must expose them to faithful people. And that should be us. So how are we going to do that? Well, of course, in your home, if you've not been expressing the word, if you've not made that central to your home, then now's the time to start. How can you, no matter where you're at, how can you more centrally put the word in your home? So that your kids know that we love the Word of God. Expose them to it, to whatever degree. How can we go out of our way to form relationships with young people? And it may be, I mean, I, I can recall individuals just reaching out to me. Hey, you want to come play basketball with me? And... Uh, and then just having a little chat with me afterwards. A man by the name of Chauncey who walked through um, brain cancer and passed away. I have incredible memories of him. He loved the Lord. He's an example to me. Oh, may we embrace this calling to know that the young people of this church are your responsibility. Father, I thank you that you've given to us this wonderful task, this noble goal of passing on the word of God so that we might have faithful young people. And I pray as we consider this today that we would think of ways that we could embrace the word more fully so that we could pass that on, embrace ways that we could reach out to the young people of our church to pass that along. Oh, Father, may... The testimony of this church be that the young people here held on, that they were faithful.
because the people of this church carved out those two handholds for them. In Jesus' name, amen.